Good morning, church. Glad to see all of you this morning. Um, as we continue on in our series in the, in the book of Acts, if you have your Bible, uh, grab, grab it and turn with me to chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the chair in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and take that one home. We'd love for you to have it as we continue on in our study. We have, we have looked so far at, at this, uh, what has really been a study of God's activity uh, when, and when he created the church. We, we saw at the beginning of Acts, him promising the Holy Spirit, and he said, you will be my witnesses to his followers. You will be my witnesses when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We saw that happen in Acts 2, and we saw the creation of the church, and the church begin. Uh, we see Peter preaching the gospel. We saw last week then uh, a ruckus started in, in the temple gates as, as Jesus, uh, in the name of Jesus, Peter and John healed a man that was crippled from birth that the entire village and area knew he had been at the temple gates for years and, and he is healed in the name of Jesus. And, and he goes and does cartwheels and whatnot in the temple courtrooms and, uh, and he causes a lot of attention. And we're going to pick up the story uh, right there this morning as we see Peter's second sermon, his explanation of what has happened and why it has happened uh, to the pe- people there. And, and I, I, we just need to pause and, and see that, that this is a story of what God is doing when he created the church. And it's, it's, a, it's a following of his activity. And along the way, it's an invitation that the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow is still up to the very same things in this world. And it's an invitation for us to join into that activity. And we'll see that activity made clear in our text this morning. So let's start in verse 11. We're going to follow it all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 26, as we're basically going to study Peter's second sermon this morning. So let's, let's jump in. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, that's the man that was healed, uh, who was crippled. While he held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And you disowned the Holy One and the Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith, In the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he has foretold through all of the prophets, saying that that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me and among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone that does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. 
Indeed, all prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your, uh, with your forefathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Hey, for his second sermon, that's pretty darn good. He lets him have it. He doesn't hold back. Remember, this is the same guy that uh, when Jesus is arrested, Peter is, is hiding, right? He, he denies Jesus. He, he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. And now you fast forward, the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has restored him. And now he is pointing at the same people and said, you killed the author of life. Wow, that's a doozy of a sermon, right? He said, Pilate was even willing to let him go. And you begged for him to let go Barabbas, the the murderer. And you wanted Jesus crucified. You did this. And he lets him off the hook. He goes, I know you were acting in ignorance. You didn't know any better, right? He said, it's okay. Because all of this was to fulfill God's plan. One of my favorite points in in flying, uh, (laughs) like last night, I, I just flew in with, a, with part of our mission team that was in Arkansas doing some flood r- relief work. And we flew from Arkansas down to Houston, Houston up to San Diego. And there's a point, you know, at the very beginning when you're pushing off the tarmac and the flight attendant says, by the way, this plane is going to San Diego. If you don't want to go to San Diego, now's the time to bail out. And I've always laughed at that because I'm thinking, you've already got to this point on the plane. Somebody let you on the plane with a ticket. Like, how do you, how do you get on the wrong plane? No, you have to. I said that first service and a lady ran, raised her hand and goes, that happened to me. <laughs> and they wouldn't let her off the plane. She was supposed to go to Fresno. She ended up in San Francisco. I've never seen that. I've never seen that. I've always wanted to to see somebody go, wait a second. I changed my mind. I don't want to go that direction. One of the things I love about this text is I think it's God making it very clear what his activity is in this world. He, he, he like at the, at the front gate uh, for a flight attendant, he already said it in Acts chapter one. He said, he said, listen, my Holy Spirit is coming. And the same thing that I have been up to since the very beginning of of creation, I am up to now since the fall. All the prophets, Peter says, have been speaking about this. I am up to one thing. He said, you will be, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes. And now at the very beginning of the church, just, just in case everybody missed it, God is letting everybody know, hey, here is the direction of my activity. Here is what I am up to in the universe. This is where I'm headed. It's why I did this miracle. And it's as if as the church is just pushing off from the tarmac, it's getting ready to take off into creation, into history. And God is going to be doing his work. He's just so everybody's clear so that you can see what my activity is and why I move in miraculous ways. Let's just be clear. Here is what I'm up to. And you can see it right away in what what Peter is saying. And I think that's mainly why this story exists where it does, that he lets people know right away. Look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power, our godliness, we had made this man walk? And here it is, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's activity is in the world? You want to know what God is up to? He is up to glorifying Jesus. 
That, that's what he does. And he's never hid that. He has one plan. The prophets had talked about it from Samuel on, Peter says. He goes back and looks at it all and says, this should not be a mystery to you. We have been talking about the Messiah coming for thousands of years. He came. You killed him, you knuckleheads. But that's okay. Jesus raised up from the dead because you can't keep the author of life dead. God had brought him back. And we are witnesses to this, not just us. Lots of people saw him. Hundreds of, this is what God is up to. He is redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. That's his plan. And the whole reason he healed that guy is not just for that guy in that time. It's that so through him, you could see Jesus glorified. That's the reason for his activity. And I love that because we need to see that. That that's, that's, that's the way the plane's going. The captain has one direction. It's Jesus. And praise be to God that it is. Praise, because that's where our deepest need is met. That's what we need more than anything. I was talking to one of our, our missionaries, Scott and I were, were visiting last weekend about healings that we have seen in, in the light of, of last week's text where we see the crippled man healed. And Scott and I were talking on the mission field. Scott, I'm just giving you a shout out here. Uh, when in Africa and the different mission field, uh, uh, healings he had seen. And he said this line, and I love it. He said, but the greatest miracle of all is whenever somebody gives their life to Christ and they become a child of God. And, and it just caused me to pause and go, he's absolutely right. That what we tend to give all the attention to is when the crippled man walks. But what is eternally significant is not that crippled men walk, but that dead men live in Jesus. Right? Like that, that is the miracle upon miracle. That, that is what God is up to most, which we want him to be. And, and this is why we need to, to see this from the start, that, that he is saying, hey, the captain's headed this direction, because if you're not on board with the direction that the God of the universe is going, you're going to find him an awfully frustrating God, right? Like if you, you want him to say, hey, how about, how, about actually, how about actually, I like all this power stuff, and I like this grace stuff, and I like this mercy stuff, but how about we use that for my health and happiness? Can we make that your goal, God? And God's going, no, Sorry. But now along the way, you might be healthy and happy, but if you are, guess what the purpose of that is to be? To bring glory to Jesus Christ. Also, by the way, this changes everything that if you're a Christian in the hospital room and you want to know why you're crying out to God and God is not answering and bringing the healing, guess what the reason is? That even in the illness and even in the struggle, there's opportunity to bring glory to Jesus. We'd never have to question what the will of God and the reason for his activity or inactivity is. It is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And sometimes the greatest witness we have is in the midst of our sufferings. We point to Jesus and see his goodness, right? So whether we're healed or we're not healed, God's purpose is the same to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And as the church, we need, to, we need to jump on board. This is what God is doing. And I'm convinced, by the way, that if that is not our purpose and our purposes aren't aligned with God, then we're going to be frustrated because we never see God move. But it's amazing that when you align your purposes with God's purposes, that suddenly you see God moving all over the place, bringing glory to Jesus, right? And I think that's why the miraculous was so evident in that time that that was Peter's purpose, he makes it clear. And you can see it right away as, 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 as it happens. He, he, he speaks in Jesus' name. The guy jumps up. He's healed. I love that it says that, that he's holding on to him. You know, the, he and John, he's never walked before. This is all new. He did some cartwheels. He was walking with them. Maybe he's intimidated. The crowds are amazed and they come running at him, which the crowds came running at Jesus too. That doesn't mean much. 
Crowds don't mean disciples. Crowds don't mean disciples. It means that people were looking for some entertainment. Wow, a miracle had been done. Cool, let's go check this out. It, it meant that people might have been running up because they had some, hey, I got this spot on me. Can you heal that too? Right? My arm hurts when I throw, you know, overhand. Where's Jim Smythe? I got to throw underhand. Um, <laughs> can, can you heal that? Right? And so the crowds came because they were entertained or they wanted something. But here's the difference. There's a difference between somebody who is interested in the power of God or consuming what God might have to offer and a person that has been made alive in Jesus Christ. And those are two totally different things. And Peter saw it right away. He says, You're, you guys, all the crowd, wait, 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 hold on. I, it's not by our godliness that this guy, I, don't come. He could see that they were coming up to him. And he goes, wait a second. That's not how God's power moves. This isn't the glorification of some fantastic you know, super preacher and, and, and look at the celebrity preacher. God moves through him uniquely more than, no, it's the power of Jesus. And he said, it's not me. It's not my godliness that brought this about. It's the power of Jesus. This is all about Jesus. That God was moving and he moved to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And so then Peter preaches to them. He lets them have him. You killed him. And then he gets to his, his, his thrust of his message. What he wanted to say from the beginning, he says, listen, God did this to fulfill his, his plan. He even used your ignorance and your stupidity, which praise be to God, he can use our ignorance and stupidity, right? Verse 19, he, he, he finally gets to the push of this. Look what he says, repent then. And then he says three things. This guy's been preaching two sermons. He's already got to three points and, a, and an altar call. Like he, he's ready to go. He's a full-blown preacher at this point. So I'm going to cheat and, and I'm just going to use his three points. How about we do that, right? He points to three things. Repent then and turn to God. Here we go. So that your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come, and that he might send Jesus back to restore everything. Yeah, this is it. This is what you need to happen more than anything else. This is it. He said, so, so understand, this is what God's activity is. He is glorifying Jesus. He did the miraculous among you, amongst you, not so that man can walk. That wasn't God's goal. That was a method to get to his goal. Does that make sense? And that's important. Because we need to hear that for every blessing you have in your life and I have in my life. Does God want to bless you? Sure. So that through you, he might make you a blessing to the nations, right? So that through you, he might bring Jesus glory. It's not about you. And, and that sounds rough. Go, what do you mean? God doesn't care about me? Yes, he does. That's why he makes it all about Jesus. Let me, let me give you a for instance. Let's say a plague hits San Diego and everybody is dying. Your mama's dying. Your grandma's dying. Your kids are dying. And you've got, your neighbors are dying. You've got the cure. You've got, you have it. Would you then just go talk to people about, hey, are you feeling okay today? Would you keep it hidden? Or would you blast it from the rooftops? I have what everybody desperately needs in order to have life. Does that make sense? So Jesus is glorified, being glorified by God because God is saying, this is what everybody desperately needs. We can cry out for healing for of our broken bodies all we want, but what we need far more than that is the healing of a broken soul. And so he says, repent, repent. Repent is more than than." than Asking God and saying, sorry. Sorry about that, God. Repenting is a stopping the direction you are going and turning to God. 
and saying, okay, no more. I'm not, I'm not do, going anymore. I'm turning to you. And now, now pick up who he's preaching to. He's not preaching to a bunch of unreligious people. He is in the middle of the temple gates in the temple courtyards at the time of prayer of the third hour of the day. These are the holy people that have gathered there to pray. And he is preaching to the religious people, repent and turn to God. There's an irony there, isn't there? You would think he would go to to the prostitutes and to all the, the, the sinners out there. But instead, he is at the church house saying, repent and turn to God because you need Jesus. We probably need to hear that, right? Because there's a difference in religiosity and being a child of God through Jesus Christ. And so so he's pushing them to Jesus. Repent and turn. And the first thing he says, and he will wipe out your sins. That's an awesome sentence. That he will wipe out your sins. You know what's interesting? Is that this isn't the first time Jesus healed a paralyzed man. Do you remember the other story when Jesus healed a paralyzed man? It's very similar to this. You find it in each of the other Gospels. You can uh, quickly, if you wanted to check it out, Mark chapter 2. You remember the story that, that there's a big crowd around Jesus. And kind of like here, there's, because he's doing some healings. And, and these friends had a paralyzed buddy. And they couldn't get to him. So they crawled up on the rooftop. They removed the thatch ceiling. And they lowered the paralyzed man down before Jesus. You remember the story? And Jesus heals him. He get up and walk. And, and, but he, that's not all he does. Do you remember what else he does to the man? He said, he also tells the man, now, the guy's there to get healed from his walking, but he tells the man, hey, your sins are forgiven too. And all the religious people around him get mad going, who are you to forgive sins? And here's Jesus' response. I love this. Mark, Mark chapter 2, 8 and 9. He immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were talking in their, or thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? And we would probably go, it's probably far harder to tell the man, to, the paralyzed man to get up and walk. And Jesus is going, are you kidding me? I spoke creation into being. Tell him the paralyzed man to walk is quite easy. You know what's far harder? It cost me my life on the cross to tell the person his sins are forgiven. And to Jesus, that is the far more profound thing. Right? And that is what the man needed more than anything. And so Jesus will go on and say, so that you would understand that I have authority to forgive his sins, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. And you fast forward to the, to the beginning of the church's ministry and you see the exact same scenario taking place. So that they would see that what really needs to happen is the forgiveness of sins God chose to heal a man, a paralyzed man to walk. I spent the last uh, week with, with the team in, in a little town outside of Fort Smith, Arkansas, called, called Moffat, Oklahoma, which is, is a very impoverished area. And we were doing flood relief work. And it, it, this area is in the floodplain. Uh, and every house in the town, the river had gotten to the roof line. And stayed there for, how long did the floods? I got some Fort Smith peeps here. How long was the, the, the flood in town? For like a week? About a week before it right? Um, and, and then it, it, it went down. And so flood water is in your house up to your ceiling for, for just almost a week. And then it goes down. And nobody has, that was three weeks ago. And nobody has touched these houses for three weeks until our team walked into them. And um, have you ever smelt a fridge that has been flooded and then set in 100 degree heat for three weeks with no electricity? One of our lovely team members accidentally cracked open the door. Of the, oh, my gosh. I thought about rubbing bleach up my nostrils after that to try to get that smell out. And there's mud, not just mud, 
all the stuff that comes with, with all that. And it's a smell like you can't imagine. It's been sitting there just... We had to rip everything out of these houses, dry, rip it all the way. Nothing can stay. Ceiling, it went all the way down to its bare studs and completely uh, disinfect the entire house and, and to get all the mold and muck. What good would it have been to that house if we show up, we see all this damage, and we never touch the inside, but we just said, hey, how about we repaint the outside, plant them from the flower beds, give them a new front door, and say, boom, there you go. Happy house, right? Gee, thanks. And yet we, we all get that. Jesus accused religion of doing just that. Jesus said, you religious folks want to wash the outside of the tombs, but leave death on the inside. You want to wash the outside of the cup, but leave death on the inside of the cup, he said. For us to beg God to move in our physical life, but completely ignore that what we need most is for him to step into our spiritual life and muck out all the disgusting stuff that is there is to ignore what the major problem really is. I, I, and th- this, is this is where the real miracle happens. Charles Spurgeon, a famous evangelist uh, last century, was fond of saying that Jesus did not come to make bad men good or good men better. He came to make dead men live. That that's the miracle. And Jesus stepping in that first line that he will wipe away your sins changes everything. That the story of the Bible is that mankind, what is broken in this world, is that we are dead spiritually within, disconnected from God because of sin. So at that moment when sin is wiped out, it's like going in and stripping everything that is disgusting out, ripping it all down to the very best base shreds, getting rid of it, saying, God, I repent. You step in. You have your way. You do what you need to do. Rip it all out. But I love the second part of that. Not only does he wipe away all the sins, he says, so that times of refreshing can come. So that times of, of, so he doesn't just remove the guilt of our sins. He also then restores the righteousness of his own soul. He brings his goodness in so that our right standing with God is there so that he can refresh us. Can you, I don't, I'm trying to wrap my mind around what it even means for heaven to say, I want to bring times of refreshing to you. That sounds, whenever Amy leaves town for a week and I am left in the house by myself, um, this thing begins to happen. I don't, I'm curious as to what it is. I take showers regularly and I, I try to keep the kitchen clean, but you can walk in the front door and there's an aroma that is not pleasant. And I think, what does she do to this house? I'm confused, right? And all of a sudden, her presence, she comes back in and you can see her first step into the door like, oh. And I'm like, I tried cleaning up. I don't know what that is. I use bleach and everything. And like a day at the house, suddenly it smells like roses again. I'm like, what, do you, what is that? I don't know what you do. If it's her presence brings this freshness. I swear I'm not that disgusting, but seriously. (laughs) And Jesus says, I am mucking out the house and I am bringing my presence. And with my presence comes times of refreshment. When was the last time you turned to God and asked him to refresh you? We turn to a lot of things for refreshment, don't we? Let me tell you, after digging in a house in Moffat, Oklahoma, that shower was refreshing. It was, wasn't it, Eric? It was glorious, a gift from Jesus Christ himself. But that refreshment was only temporary, right? 
When was the last time you turned to your heavenly father and said, bring refreshing to my soul? I'm weary. I'm broken. And what an awesome promise that that is ours to be had in Jesus. That's right. That, that we can have that to refreshment times and not just a singular time. It's not just talking about right after salvation suddenly. God, it says times plural of refreshment. This is an ongoing experience of the Christian's life. That we don't have to turn to outside things. That we repent, we turn to him, sins are wiped out, times of refreshment come. And finally, his third point to that group of people was then he will send Jesus the Christ. He will send him back and bring a full restoration to the way things ought to be. He's talking about the end days. He's talking about, and who knows, the scripture says no mind can conceive what God has in store on that day. Like we, we can't fathom. But I think as Christians, we make a major mistake when we don't think about heaven enough. When we don't hold out that hope in front of us and say, there will be a day when God restores everything and all muck and all disgustingness and all brokenness and all hurt and all tears will be wiped away. And this world will be as God intended it when he spoke it into being and we will live as one with God. When we hold that and we don't talk about that, we don't think about that, we don't have that hope before us, then what ends up happening is we make this world as though this is all there is. And let me tell you, if you try to make God's governance in your life about just this world, you are going to be highly frustrated with his governance. Because so much of what he does do and chooses not to do in this world is all about him trying to point us to the next world. And you say, God, why don't you just bring restoration to this situation? He says, oh, I have. I have marked the day when that thing will be restored and it will be restored not just in part, but in full. And there might be temporary times when he steps in and he chooses to do some healings. He chooses to do something significant on this side of heaven. But when he does, his purpose, Peter said, is not for just that situation. It is to point towards Jesus Christ, right? To bring glory to Jesus that we might fully be restored in him. I I don't know where where you are and how you come to this text, but as I read Peter's sermon, I keep putting myself um, in the shoes in that audience of hearing this. These people had heard of Jesus. I mean, they chanted for his death a few, few weeks earlier. They'd heard of the empty tomb. They were religious people. They wanted God's activity in their life, and yet Peter had the audacity to stand up to them and preach Jesus, repent, and turn to God. And there's a part of me that wants to put myself in that crowd, and, and, and I know what I probably would be thinking in my pride. Don't tell me about what I need to repent of. I've been around this my whole life. Who are you, fisherman? And yet, and yet, I'm willing to bet that if each of us stood before Jesus and he was at our door and he knocked in and we let him in, he would find some muck and mire within that needed to be get, gotten rid of. A couple weeks, uh, a couple days ago, Thursday afternoon, I was standing in the front yard of that house that we were working on with a guy named Roy. Roy's a character in his own right. It was his house that we were busting it, and the team came in after us to do. And I, I, I wish I could explain to you the. It was a large house, the the level of work that was done there. 
Um, and he was just dumbfounded. He was just dumbfounded. He's like, why, why did you guys come all this way? You don't know me. Why would you get this disgusting and this gross? And he wanted to praise us. And I knew that I'd be preaching on this text, and God's conviction just hit me like a ton of bricks. And say, Roy, it's not about us, man. You want to know why the church gave and sent seven guys out to do this work for you? It's because of Jesus. And they want you to know. And Roy's not a believer, and he wasn't a believer at the end of that day, but he left thinking about this, that Jesus was willing to step out of the cleanness of heaven into the muck and mire of humanity to come to take it upon himself. That anybody who would ask him in would have him step in and change everything. Hey, I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to sing a song that makes much of, of Jesus. I want you to do this. Would you stand with me? There was, in Moffat, Oklahoma, there was this other ministry that was there, awesome ministry called Eight Days of Hope, and it's a disaster relief ministry. They travel all over the country wherever there's disaster, and they, they do some work, and they were in this area. Other teams had come in, and nobody wanted to touch this area because it was, it was the worst of the worst, and these guys stepped in, and they went house to house, and they knocked on the door, and they had to ask the people, Are, would, would you let us in to come and, and help clean this all out? Uh, and of course, everybody said absolutely because they, they saw the depth of the mess that they had in front of them and knew they could do nothing about it. In Revelation, there's this beautiful text where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever lets me in, I will come in and dine with him, fellowship with him. It's Jesus standing at the door saying, Will you let me in? And, and I think that many of us would like to think that we'd say yes if we had that question, but, but in reality, I think in pride, a lot of us look back and go, no, I got this. If you'll just make the outside of the house look pretty, if you'll just, I, I like this blessing stuff, and I like this, I like this help stuff, I like this grace stuff, I got the, I'll take care of here. And Jesus said, no, 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 I, I didn't come to clean the outside of the cup. I came to take care of the death within. Bow your heads with me. And I want you to picture Jesus standing at the door of your heart. And he's knocking. I don't know what season of, of life you're in. If, you, if maybe you're just in a season where you are holding on to something that you're scared to let Jesus into. And today you need to hear Peter say, repent and turn, and that will be wiped out of your life. Maybe you're in a, in a season of, of just needing a time of refreshing, and that God needs to step in and make an anxious heart happy and trustworthy. Maybe you're in need of some peace. Maybe there's a, a situation going on, and you don't know how it's going to go, and you're worried about it. You're scared of what, what, what's there. Maybe your soul is just weary. Maybe, maybe this has been a hard season for you. What I do know is that Jesus has made this beautiful promise. And at some point, 
He has put the decision before us that we would repent and turn to him. Say, okay, God. I'm just going to pray over us, and we're going to make much of Jesus, just like Peter did that day. We're going to sing of Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen into whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. You respond to that in, in your, your own heart. As God is standing there. Jesus, we know that we know that you stepped down into this world and you were willing to take on our sin. You were willing to take on the punishment. You were willing to take on death. And we know that you as the author of life walked away from that. And in your hands, you had life everlasting. You had abundant life. God, as, as your people, we, we just repent that we continue to look for life and fulfillment and refreshing from things that, that don't satisfy, from things that don't last. And we're constantly left wanting and we hear you inviting us into your life to your way of, of, of doing things this morning. And so, Father, as your children, we just come before you, Jesus, making much of you. And we hear you, God. You are, you are up to this. This is what you are doing in this world. So, Father, if we need to just repent of our alignment and say we're going to stop making life about us, we're going to stop trying to make church about us, we're going to stop trying to make our finances about us, and, and we hear you, you are up to making much of Jesus. God, if we just need to repent of an alignment and have you fix that within us, God, that we would be about you, then do that this morning. Whatever you need to do, if we just need some hope, just that promise that things will be restored and be as they should be one day, God, you do, you do what you, only you can do. We give ourselves to you. Jesus, we make much of you and call out to you. Move amongst us in Jesus' name.